Watch this. Space. Episode one. Imagination brought to life. Welcome to Watch This Space. Dive through the airlock of reality and into the universe of speculative fiction as we look at what was to see what could be. I'm your host, Alan Williams, and I am joined by by my friend, Paul French, who, Paul, introduce yourself. I am Paul. Tell us your, (laughs) tell us the root. That's right. Well, So I am Paul. Tell tell us a give, tell us a little bit of your origin as far as science fiction and, and cinema. Oh my gosh! Um, you know, I I mean, there's stuff I was probably into as a as a very young child, but but one pivotal one I remember is when I started the second grade, and I went in, and uh, the teacher had a bun at uh, this table at the back that had pictures of this stuff that looked kind of interesting. And uh, and and she told us that it's a new movie uh, that she went to see called Star Wars and that her son had convinced her to go. And it's not usually her kind of thing. And she and she thought it was just the most brilliant thing. And she says, and I recommend that all of you go and see it. And so keep in mind, this is in like September. So it came out in May. But back in those days. <laughs> You know, if a movie was doing well, they were just like, let's let it ride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so uh, that weekend, I said to my dad, we have to see Star Wars and see it. We did. And then see it. We did again a couple of weeks later. And um, yeah. And, uh, you know, that was uh, that was kind of it for me. I was in. Um, you know, any anything of that sort, you know, there was the. uh um you know, one of the first movies I went, I went to like with with one of my friends, where it was like, you know, we we just made our way to the theater and 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 watched it was uh, Flash Gordon, and um, so I was always kind of in the uh, tank for those exactly, and and so there was always. Um, you know, there was always a, a, a movie to see, um, you know, some some sort of thing with with the space in it. And uh, and I was probably more interested in those than I was even in uh, even in science fiction comic books. Because um, when they got too deep into the into the 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 sci fi bit, which is weird, given, you know, uh, things. Uh, but um I always, I, I was just always in the tank for the for the movies. And uh, how about you? Well, for me, science fiction and comic books actually go hand in hand because yeah. I've got a, I've got a brother who's thirteen years older than I am, mm. and he so ever yeah you know, I I can't remember a time when I didn't have something, comic book or science fiction related around me, but I think probably. I remember some of the things I really remember is I remember when the Andromeda strain was on the Sunday night movie, which would have probably put it about 1974 ish. Uh-huh. <clears throat> um, I, I do, I have these vague memories that go back. I, I can remember stuff back to like about three years old. And mm-hmm. I just, like, I remember Star Trek. That was a big deal. Um, I was yeah. a, just, when I was a little kid, I was now. I was technically born during Star Trek's uh, as Star Trek's third season started, mm-hmm. so I don't remember it firsthand. But I remember growing up with those with all that uh, stuff in syndication, with Lost in Space, with Star Trek, and the, I, I just kept up with with it. And having an older brother who was into things like Asimov and oh yeah, Bradbury, it just so it definitely kept kept pulling me in i think probably the first science fiction movie that i remember seeing though is hmm i think it well 
it was probably either the Andromeda strain on TV, but I only remember seeing part of that. Mm-hmm. Or it was, uh, or maybe it was Planet of the Apes. One of the times really? that they showed it. Mm-hmm. Well, Planet of the Apes came out in 1968, the year That's I was right. born. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so they they would re. It was one of those things that made the rounds of the of like the ABC Sunday Night Movie fairly, mm. fairly regularly. I mean, at least three or four times I've seen it before i before even like star wars came along i found out about star wars actually from my next door neighbor okay <clears throat> so and I, know, I i still remember i still remember seeing it nine years old up in the balcony of the rialto theater staring down at it because it was it was super right? crowded this was two or th- this was still two or three months after the after it had come out ah, so yeah yep i Science fiction and I go go back a long ways. Absolutely. And I can remember watching I like my dad likes Star Trek. So I can remember watching that with him when I was when I was very young. And uh and you know, I I I will count the uh uh the six million dollar man as also being uh science fiction, if not uh you know, space involved, but uh but yeah. certainly uh oh, and absolutely. again, you know, as a as a comic book fan, that that you know it it it's it kind of scratched that itch a little bit. Um you know this guy had superpowers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh Logan's run was another one. Mm, yeah. When I was a kid, I remember seeing I remember watching the movie with my brother and then the TV series came on if, sometime after that. I remember watching then, the TV series and not really getting it. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't terribly. <laughs> let's just say it wasn't terribly good. But there's another thing okay. I also grew up with, with um, the Twilight Zone. Mm, yes, same. Yeah. And that is still a thing that, uh, um, you know, that I watch frequently. In fact, mm-hmm. I, I was introducing my, my daughter to some episodes of it because they were doing sh- short stories in school. and uh so you know just this idea like and and one of the first assignments was they had to write an alternate earning ending to uh the monkey's paw and i was like oh okay so if you like that kind of stuff let me tell you (laughs) you're gonna want to you're gonna want to see some and and of course the one i went with was uh was um time enough at last yes um you know the burgess meredith um, um where time uh, freezes and he's yeah, yeah. oh yes, and the I yeah the, the I love the irony of a lot of those uh, yeah. of those Twilight Zone episodes. That Night Gallery were both on quite a bit when I was a kid. I remember getting yeah, that, I remember watching Night Gallery is more horror than right than science fiction. But there were times. Um, one of my favorite stories out of that was the Painted Mirror, mm-hmm. which is one where they. Un, where it's supposedly this mirror that's covered in like gray paint, and as they scrape the paint off, they discover it's essentially a doorway into the past, you know, into the dinosaur era. Ah, yes. And I remember that as a uh, even as a little kid, because I remember building with my uh, with my set of play school building blocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would actually build like the whole idea of that of that land leading backwards using the toy, using my toy dinosaurs. And then I'd have like my little Fisher price, little people. And I'd have, I'd build a little doorway looking thing as a, you know, this is where you go into it. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. <clears throat> I, I, I was the, my nerd foo has always been strong. Well, there you go. There you go. And and we're going to make good use of it. Uh, because yes, what we're going to do folks is we're going to, we're going to go through, um, you know, science fiction films from, uh, um, uh, you, you know, that go back well before Star Wars, well before mm-hmm. um, uh, the Twilight Zone. And uh, we're going to get into some uh, some stuff that even go back uh, in, you know, <laughs> go back two centuries. <laughs> that's right we're, we're not going back to last century we're going back to the century before it exactly it's exactly so um yeah so you know you'll you'll see us go th- i mean some of the movies that we've mentioned uh just now you'll see us uh hit some of those later on uh but first we're actually gonna do three whole move four whole movies 
<laughs> and uh, <laughs> scroll up, Paul. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, and and so we're going to do four whole movies. Uh, some of the earliest, I think. Absolutely. I think that's safe to say. You know, it's not mm-hmm. just. Um, uh, you know, I mean. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, one of them uh, came out in 1898. So, uh, yes. you know, we've got uh, we've got sort of uh, uh, th- th- there's 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 some age there. Um, so, so why don't you anyway, introduce? Let's set the stage a little. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's set the stage a little. So we're back. This is 1898. So we're talking about not long um, after movies first started even coming out. Yeah. We're talking, um, and at the time, the majority of films were everyday occurrences. Things like um, film. Uh, let's see, one of the cla- one of the famous ones was filming a train arriving at a station, but setting setting it up with a with a perspective so that the train appeared to be coming at the audience, kind of thing. So they, right. there was already experimentation with with angles, with cameras. I mean, mm-hmm. you consider that this is. Not that far, um, you know. It hasn't been that long since since um, static motion or static film had yeah. come into existence back with the daguerreotype. So, this start, we're, what we're starting out with is actually a film by the same director as the one who does the second film. And I know I am going to mess up his name because I because I do not speak French. But I believe his name is, I'm going to try and pronounce this. It is, um, uh, I'm looking for his first name. I, 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 I scrolled way down too far. Georges Melier, M E L I E S. That seems to work. Yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> Melier is mostly known for the second film that we're going to be going over, uh, A Trip to the Moon. But the first, the first film that he did, and this is a, this is this is where we see the beginnings of as this episode is titled "Imagination Brought to Life." Melier mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was a Melier was um, a stage an actual stage magician, and he took that that sense of the theatrical and he decided to put it together and with this new miracle of motion picture and create the Astronomer's Dream. The Astronomer's Dream is about a three it's about three minutes long. And it is literally the story of the astronomer being uh, falling asleep in his telescope, being bedeviled by um, being sort of bedeviled by a little demon. He's got uh, and he's got this good fairy who's watching, uh, watching over him in his dream and and helping him. You've got the moon coming to life in him, uh, just appearing. We're going to put links to all of these in. Too. Yeah. Yeah. So to give to give you a quick rundown of how the astronomer's dream runs, he falls asleep in his telescope. There's a demon that appears out of nowhere. There's a good fairy um, who, in one side I found, was identified as Phoebe, makes the demon disappear. She disappears. The astronomer draws a globe, which becomes a stick man that starts to move around. The moon suddenly appears in the astronomer's room with big rolling eyes and a mouth that starts to chew up the telescope, then the furniture. The astronomer punches the moon in the face. It hops <laughs> back up in the sky, becoming becoming um, a crescent moon, at, which is a chair for a scant, scantily clad woman. The astronomer wants to reach the scantily clad woman, so he puts a table by... By his balcony, stands on the stands on the table, and the the table disappears. There's a lot. There's a lot of bewildered, fast changes in this scene. Mm-hmm. So you've got things like the moon appearing in the room again, with little with little moon children falling out of its mouth, with the astronomer chucking them back in. We got the moon eating the astronomer and spitting out the pieces, and then the fairy and the demon come back. The fairy the fairy chases off the demon and Phoebe puts the astronomer back together in his chair where he wakes up again. I mean, mm. it's a very disjointed, it, it's real. There's not so much a story as it's more for, more for showing off special effects, <clears throat> which yeah. this new medium, you know, that we'll, we'll get more into that, but, um, but this medium was definitely in the, its early days, 
used a lot for showing off not only what you could not only filming what you could pull off like on a stage you know, yeah. fil- as if you're just filming a play but also playing with some of the conventions of cinema that Melier basically invented at that point uh, and and it and it's kind of amazing at, at you know the idea of film as you know, really a sort of proof of concept, right? It was uh, look at mm-hmm. look at what we can do, and um, as a as opposed to like we need to tell a very complicated story. There is none of that. There is uh, there is you know let's have kind of a weird little sketch uh, that that plays out, and it is very stagey, um, which is interesting given that they're really trying to sort of play around with the idea of uh of of what they can do with this camera and um mm-hmm. uh, you know yeah. it, it, it just very very interesting sort of uh you know a prototype for uh for for film yes it's a it's very different from a lot of the other early films of the era where they literally would take the would take a camera out and they would film it on location like the like the one I was talking about before yeah. the arrival of the train but <clears throat> What Melier did was create, was recreate the dimensions of the stage that he, of the favorite, his favorite theater to perform in. And so everything was literally just set up as a stage, as a stage production being filmed with some rudimentary camera tricks like double exposure, like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, like, like the, the little rapid cuts, you know, the little cut jumps where everybody freezes, you take something out of the scene or put something in and they magically appear or exactly exactly but but you know kudos to them for being able to put together how to do that because the 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 technology was very rudimentary you know it's not like now where it's like i just did this thing on my phone and i'm gonna do a jump cut and um you know it's a very different thing um and it's interesting too how eventually that would feed back into into the theater trying to make more film-like things happen going back even as far as like say peter pan flying yeah yeah <clears throat> you know we went we we took the kids to um uh, see the uh the harry potter play um at, at christmas and um the special effects that they pulled off in that room were you know like and it was so funny my my older daughter and i were were sitting there it's like okay how are they doing this <laughs> uh-huh or watching and, some yeah or something like wicked with the whole yes. defined gravity number yeah absolutely <laughs> and and just the way that they they you know managed to uh to sort of pull these things together with like all right so we'll have these guys come in and they'll they'll lift them um but they'll be they'll be dressed in black and and we won't put a spot on them so um it looks like that character is flying <laughs> yes and awesome. uh just really neat uh, uh you know kind of kind of ways of staging things and and you know he was there you know it, it's funny it's like you say like like I mean, he was really kind of doing a lot of that stuff, that that kind of stuff here, and um, but like, but like you say, like like you know, it's it's just it, it the the technology that they had was so rudimentary, and um, right. yeah, and effectively used. I mean, that's that's yeah. one of yeah. one of the best things, and then that the fact that Melier took that a step further just four years later yes. when he did a trip to the moon. A trip to the moon is probably the most famous science, uh, silent science fiction film yes. uh, outside of Metropolis. Um, oh, that's or at fair, least yeah. that we think of that we think of as science fiction mm-hmm. because something that we're going to explore in in this podcast are films that that might be considered, for example, horror, but are in reality at yeah. least yeah they they are science fiction. They they yeah. are truly science fiction. They're scientific at their heart. Um, as a matter of fact, one of them will be a version of Frankenstein and Frankenstein at its heart is a science fiction story. It is absolutely literally about science. It's, it's really science fiction first and, and, um, horror second, but getting back to a trip to the moon, um, it's, it's a pretty simplistic plot. You've got a, a head scientist plan, uh, talking about planning a flight to the moon to use, um, 
we get this we get some scenes about the the uh the rocket or the little capsule being cre- being made um the head scientist and five of his companions all get in the rocket which gets pushed into a cannon by by as the one site describes it a host of for the time scantily clad girls there um people cheer as the rocket is launched which is uh, shot out of a cannon kind of <laughs> jules yeah. verne style and uh the scientists get out of the rocket and immediately they fall asleep people dance across the sky or stars dance across the sky people appear the face of different celestial bodies including and this comes again so you you get that uh that sort of continuity almost with the astronomer's dream and yeah. then one of the ones who appears is phoebe goddess of the moon and the goddess of the moon makes it snow which awakens the scientists who go exploring where do we hear about snow waking up people sleeping in a field right later yeah I yeah exactly and not and and only you know what well okay 30 about 35 years later yeah well, yeah about 35 years yeah that's not that long and no and then so the scientists discover grow discover mu- giant mushrooms that grow before their very eyes they um they encounter a sort of an insectoid looking alien that they promptly kill by by hitting it with an umbrella um there are some very acrobatic aliens who appear capture the captures the scientists present them before the king the head scientist gets gets out of his bonds, proceeds to kill the king of the moon, and it should be noted that everybody who dies on the moon apparently disappears in a puff of smoke. <laughs> um, the scientists get to finally get back to the rocket. The the um, head scientist hits the rocket over the edge of the moon to make it fall all the way to Earth. So apparently the moon is flat. And we didn't know this. Yes, but um, but they picked up a stow uh, a stowaway, which was one of the one of the moon aliens, and um, so it gets so the the capsules towed back to Paris. They hold a great the, they hold a great parade, and they show off the the captured alien like it as kind of kind of almost King Kong like in that he's in it. You know, in that it's he's yeah. A, but that's sort of traditional, you know, the, the weirdly fantastic. So there's a lot of there are a lot of fun elements to this. There are a lot of nods to other fiction, uh, other science fiction that I'm gonna yeah. that I'm gonna lead that we'll lead into in our next segment. Right now, we're we're, we're mostly just hitting the highlights of, of these films because there are four of them. Now, yeah. mind you, this one's only like about ten minutes long. I think the longest of these uh, of these films is about. Maybe twelve to fifteen minutes tops. Yeah, but most of them are like five to ten, um, three minutes for the first for that first one. But um, one thing to note is, yeah, you've still got that. Yeah, you're you're still using that very theatrical look, very um, much. That everything is filmed very obviously on it uh, on what looks like a theatrical stage. Yeah, and this um, this one actually, you know, they're, they're for for people who haven't yet checked out some of these early films, this one you you may even remember from the uh, the, the Smashing Pumpkins video for Tonight Tonight, where they actually um, they they actually did sort of an homage to it. Well, I mean, homage. I mean, it was uh, it was really kind of based on it, mm-hmm. and um, and. Uh, and in fact, I think they they were trying to find all of these sort of turn of the century costumes, and they couldn't get them because uh, James Cameron had rented all of them in the city. Um, so uh, so they had very little to work with. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, because um, he was making Titanic. <laughs> yep. Another thing about a trip to the moon is it's actually uh, a very early color film because some of the prints were hand tinted. Mm-hmm. Um, now. There is a version of the Astronomer's Dream that you can find on YouTube that is that is um, colorized, but I don't believe the original prints of it were ever hand tinted no. the way they were for a trip to the moon. I think of the four films that that we're looking at today. Yeah. That one, that's the only one that had that hand tinting. And so the next one, the next one is a little bit more fan- fanciful and fantastic in its mm-hmm. own way. 
um, A Trip to Jupiter, which is about a uh, it's about a king whose court jester slash astronomer slash not sure what the hell else this this guy is supposed to be, but the royal astronomer show um, shows him from different locations in his palace um, shows him the different celestial bodies. And when he shows it with the telescope, you actually see what appear to be the different gods that are associated with, like uh, like Mars, for example, looks very looks very warlike, right? On there, Venus is, looks very pretty and you know very very lovely. <clears throat> well, that night the king the king falls asleep has a um, has a dream that he climbs a, gi- a gigantic rope ladder up to Jupiter, and he ends up. How did they put it? Let's see. This is the one that's like nine to ten minutes long. Yeah. And he find he meets a royal guard, fights off a few of them, and again, it's that whole you know disappearing in a puff of something. In this case, it's flame, not smoke. But eventually, he's overpowered. He meets the king of Jupiter, who um, probably is Jupiter himself. Yeah. And he greets him. He. He greets the king as an equal, uh, at the Earth King as an equal, but the king of Ju- Jupiter, when he shakes hands, shoots a bolt of electricity in into our beloved king of Earth. And Jupiter figures out, oh, this is not, th- this isn't really, you know, an equal of mine. And so they, they end up having a, a duel. The king of Earth is, sub- in this one, the king of the king of Earth doesn't win. He's uh, he's thrown off the planet, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he's ticked off, crawling, climbing back down the ladder until Saturn takes a pair of giant scissors, cuts the la- <laughs> the ladder, and the king goes tumbling back down into his own bed. He wakes up, takes his frustration out on his poor astronomer. Some of the things that are kind of interesting about this is that, uh, for one thing, it's pretty clear that he is not quite this is one of those early times where they use uh the the direction the camera is pointing at to make you think something's vertical when it's probably horizontal right um because like when he falls it's kind of it's kind of obvious he's just rolling along a floor yeah i Um, mean hey we believed it when batman and robin climbed uh climbed up the wall this is even yeah and this is even more fun about that because it's like, oh look, he's supposed to be climbing up a rope ladder. Yeah, nobody climbs a rope ladder like that. Um, <laughs> can't climb a rope ladder like that. <laughs> and uh, and the, the something also to note though is that um, the sets are much more realistic looking than anything that Melier did. Mm-hmm. Melier stuck with his more, you know, with, with facades that kind of make me think at least of. Um, Later German uh, German expressionist films, particularly the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Oh wow! <clears throat> that kind of that the nice the sort of lack of realism, yeah, right. the, the the surrealism of it. But uh, you know, oh, and uh, as far as the climbing, there's a description that was achieved by laying out the stars and planets as large cutouts on the floor. Gods and goddesses looking like they're standing or sitting, but actually lying on their backs. Mm-hmm. King crawling vertically, cr- crawling on the floor with the so-called ladder suspended beneath him. The camera's actually suspended from the ceiling and filming straight down. Now we can tell what it what it is because it's so obvious, but back then audiences not seeing that probably thought that was a pretty new thing. Mm-hmm. And this could have potentially been a partial inspiration for Busby Berkeley, the Hollywood choreographer who liked to take liked to take his a camera and film down uh-huh. on dancers on the catwalks that you would see like the because they'd make these elegant little patterns. The only way you could see it was if you looked down on top of them, yes. kind of like you get even like these days with River Dance, um, mm-hmm. going back just you know twenty five years there. Yeah, yeah, but you know but early dances so there's a lot of fun fun stuff fun detail in it um this one was this one is directed by uh segundo de chamon and he was a he was a spanish guy who was actually kind of melier's pseudo protege in that they both in that they 
they did work together for for some things. Um, matter of fact, um, that one of the other early productions that they went that things kind of went through was um, called the Red Spectre, which had an early version of the scene similar to the homunculus, where you have little people in a jar. That's kind of a classic scene. <laughs> <laughs> and then following up on our, on our uh, triple triptych, here we is one that kind of leads into what we're planning to do next week. Yeah. This one is a trip to Mars, and it was done by the Thomas Edison Studios. Oh. Also done the same year as Thomas Alva Edison's studio produced um, Frankenstein, one of the earliest adaptations of Mary Shelley's novel. Now, A Trip to Mars play, plays with some additional uh, additional cute... There, I've seen uh, pictures of the studios and stuff, but they played with some additional fun special effects when it comes to A Trip to Mars. Here, here's a quick rundown of it. Uh, the scientist develops uh, what he calls reverse gravity, mm -hmm. which kind of makes an appearance again well it seems like it was kind of inspired by hg wells uh first men in the moon because it had the cavorite the the anti-gravity metal that he created plus it's a kind of a nod to um i i think this may have been a partial inspiration for buck rogers in the uh -huh. early stories with the jumping belts of ironically called inertron just like oh, the, really yeah, it was originally. I used to have a a big book of Buck Rogers comic strips, and oh, nice! I still have it somewhere. And Inertron was, um, yeah, they they called it Inertron. It was a, I, I think they actually called it a reverse gravity metal or something. Yeah. So there's a little, yeah. So there's a little <laughs> bit of that that nod. Inertron for the those who know comic books they'll catch the reference it's uh supposedly the hardest substance in the universe in dc comics uh used very yeah. extensively in the legion of superheroes exactly so the, so the scientist goes ends up on it ends up on mars uh goes into the martian forest he is um it, and the these this Martian forest that the beings in it aren't really trees. They're they're or if they're trees, they're mobile. They are sentient plant life effectively. They capture him. One of the giants, uh, one of these giant tree creatures actually holds him in his hand. He freezes him into a giant uh, until he's in a giant snowball, then heats it over the the snowball over a flame until it explodes and, the, and knocks the scientist back to earth. And the scientist throws the remaining, the remaining uh, reverse gravity powder on, on the floor. And the last scene is the whole house starting to shake and tilt. And we never find out if that means he actually did, accidentally sent him the whole house up to, uh, up with him that time. <laughs> <laughs> and again, some of the special effects are, are pretty good. You've got you've got scenes where where it's obvious that the that the actor's uh, lying on his back on the floor to do the flying um, to to do the flying shots, but that yeah, makes sense. I mean, soup, but the super the super imp imposed shots mm -hmm. where he's got the Martians looking huge. That was pretty cool. Now. This hadn't. It's not like this hadn't been done before. You know, playing with force perspective or a, right, yeah. or a superimposition or something. But it is kind of cool, and there is, you know, the, it's kind of a kind of a one of the the people, one of the sites I read on this gave it uh, called it a, a psychedelic surreal feel because it doesn't have any title cards, so you kind of have to just follow what's happening. Yes, no context i mean it's it's sometimes it's bad enough when you're trying to watch these films and the title cards are in another language <laughs> yes uh, so they're french yes. or italian or something but in this one in this one there are no title cards and it makes you understand even further that no this is not excuse me this is um the, 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 this needed a little something yeah 
Yeah. So this was, um, I believe it was, this was the, Ed, the Edwin Porter. Um, correct. Um, believe so. Let me double check. Yes. Cause he also, wait, wait, um, this, this is Edwin, uh, Ashley Miller directed this one. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. You're absolutely right. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, I was mixing it up too. Yeah. Sorry. Porter was the one who did, um, uh, his, uh, Alice in Wonderland movie. That's um, right. And they had done uh, a Christmas Carol and they did Frankenstein and, um, and yeah, so this was Ashley Miller directed the, the, the their first fully like, you know, full on, uh, uh, sci-fi movie. Um, you know, really kind of, again, defining the, the, uh, the, the genre and, um, yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's very, it's a very interesting sort of history, uh, you know, with, with the, um, with, with these guys who, who really kind of helped create a, a, a whole, a whole genre of movies that we're still talking about, uh, um, you know, uh, centuries mm-hmm. later. Literally, yes, literally centuries later. <laughs> literally. <laughs> yeah, the, the one the one funny thing though is that um the my family has attended uh, my, my family is one of those you know big fam a big bunch of kids over a big mm-hmm. you know over a large stretch of time type things. So <clears throat> my when a tr- when the astronomer's dream came out, my grandfather was uh, on my father's side was all was already twenty five years old. That's incredible because he was born in eighteen seventy three. Wow. Yes. That's so incredible. there, there's a that's kind of another significance of following science fiction film for me is because I have at least one grandparent who is old enough to basically trace. The, who, if he were still alive today, he'd be 150, and he'd be tra- but he would be able to trace all the way back to the beginnings of sci-fi film. Yeah, that's incredible, right? I mean, so, yeah, and it, it that for me, that's kind of a uh, that nice, nice, yeah. um, you know, mix in in there, that nice connection to the past. Absolutely, absolutely. Now these guys were like, you know, you. Um, <laughs> You know, you have the uh, the Martians. Uh, they 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 have their you know little bits of of Nosferatu looking stuff at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but I um, I think I think uh, one of the things to note is is that that you know we see a lot more of the uh, you know the Jules Verne uh, the mm-hmm. um, you know H G Wells uh, you know these ideas sort of coming in. And right. uh, and of course, because of course they were uh, you know digging deep into the uh, beginnings of this world of science fiction, and yes. um, and you know whether it be um, you know exploring the ocean in uh, twenty thousand leagues under the sea, uh, or um, well, he did a. He did from the Earth to the Moon. That's right. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, that's, that that's with the giant cannon. Um, yes. Yes. H.G. Right. Wells later rips off in uh, 1936's Things to Come, which we'll get to. Yes. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot of con- you know when you put these films in into their their historical context. Yeah. And you're looking at it. There's a a site I found University of South Florida where they had a great description. Um, they say science fiction cinema is one of the first genres to be translated to film, but as a way for magicians to use illusions, theatrics, and trickery to stun crowds. Wow. And this is true. Um, yeah. That that initially, this whole, you know, initially these films, when you look at them, they're, they're special effects showcases. Right. Which there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, there just wasn't a lot of things there, there wasn't a lot we, built we on it. We still have movies that are special effects showcases. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it and it kind of in but even with the these showcase ideas, it harkens back to a lot of the, the literary roots of science fiction and and all the, going all the way back into intertwining with like fantasy and horror. For example, you go yeah. you know, the the idea people like to talk about science fiction being 
being a relatively new concept um, as far as like, for example, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein being one of the first science fiction novels. But really, when if you factor in things like stories of um, the, the old medieval romances of King Arthur and and uh, his, you know, and Camelot, yeah, or if you or if you look at the tales of the fantastic, like Gulliver's Travels or Gargantua and Pantagruel, mm-hmm. there's a lot there that by the time you get to even Robert Louis Stevenson writing the strange case of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, oh, I just um, I just got a new yeah. annotated version of that. Um, that I've been reading, Ooh. and oh my god, it's fantastic! And they've got one of Frankenstein. I'm gonna get it. <laughs> oh yeah, but it's that thing where where you can where you can already see. <clears throat> excuse me, you can already see just what um, just where some of the stories go, but how they also right. even those stories they were yeah you you know what the the Oz books were good. We're also coming out around this time too. Alfred right. Baum's yeah. Oz yeah. Book. That's right. Wizard of Oz was, I think, 1902, if I remember right. Yeah. Um, and I think the last ones that he did came out in around the around 1920. So these, um, but they they also, in addition to everything else, there's always the the fabulous in it. Like the in the Oz books, like the last one has an underwater city, and right. an early, you know, an early type of um, the. A type of submarine, certainly not the first type because you have the Monitor and the Merrimack in the Civil War. But yeah, but um, there's it just this was if you wanted a medium, if you wanted a genre for showing off what you could do with film and what you could do uh, and showing off what you could do on the stage by filming what you could do on the stage, then yes, this was a you know, you didn't have a better realm to work with than than science fiction and the right. speculative nature of science fiction right because it was all it, it was a genre that was all about pushing the boundaries of what we're able to do and uh and so it immediately lends itself to pushing the boundaries of of how you make a make a film and uh and you know how you how you you know you use these these very um uh, you know these 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 again very primitive um machines to be able to 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 you know to do something and then they would start you know inventing the next thing and um mm-hmm. you know when you look at um when they did uh, the lost world in in 1925 you know it's it's it, you know and maybe we we can sort of turn to the uh uh, the 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 context here, but you know you 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 get yeah. to see stop motion animation for the first time, right. and and you know as 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 kids who grew up as we did, you know where uh, where the thing you looked forward to every Christmas was the stop motion. Uh... <laughs> yes, right. Rudolph like, the Red Nosed Reindeer. Yeah, exactly. Like Santa Claus is coming to town. Yeah, all those Rankin Bass uh, stop motion. Mm-hmm. bits though those those are classics i mean yeah. and this is or even sinbad seven voyages or yes um the original clash of the titans oh the harryhausen stuff yeah <laughs> yeah harryhausen stuff or go to king you know you can go to king kong from yeah. 1933 stop mo- or oh well i just realized you can jump forward a little and go to something like the nightmare before christmas yeah. So I mean, you know, you're talking, you're talking technologies that can that um, contextual. You know, if you put these films in context, they're the be they we're looking at the beginnings yes. of technologies that were still that are they're still the rudiments of filmmaking today. One hundred percent. Yeah, and and that's kind of fascinating. And you know, when you think about it, like. You know, uh, again, there's a straight line between a lot of that stuff. I mean, and and again, Melier being a magician, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and and it was all about creating the illusion, and uh, and and I think a lot of the best directors kind of lean into that as well. Um, where oh, definitely, it, you know, it is all about you know what can we do to dazzle? What can we, you know, and and uh, and and to distract from this so that this happens and surprises you, and um, you know, it's it's it, it, it it's just again, um, 
there's there's a lot that Melier brought to science fiction film, certainly, um, but just to film in general. Yeah, and, that's what I was just thinking. Is <laughs> yeah. although although science fiction film is kind of where they started with all of with playing with all of these special effects yeah. um, and all the things that they could do. Look look at the different look at how it it comes out later when you've got things like. Like the aforementioned Titanic. Yeah, that's look exactly at spe- right. I'm look at the special effects there. that went into that. When, when you <clears> think <throat> of that, like the the yeah, again, the, the the things that they had to do to uh to to imitate this thing that happened a century before. And um in their case, okay, it was about 80, 85 years before. Um yeah. it took them a while to make that movie. Um <laughs> what's twenty what's twenty years between? Uh, you friends? know. Yeah. But but um, it is you know again there's a straight line between that and it's it, there's the irony of um, right. the the video director who is doing uh, who is basically you know trying to recreate um, a trip to the moon and uh, and he's trying to buy these uh, these uh, these costumes but he can't because uh, because uh, you know. Um, Cameron is making a movie about, you know, something that's not yeah. far from that time. Exactly. Yeah. Or even even think about um like Queen making the video to Radio Gaga and grabbing Absolutely. footage from Metropolis. So oh, yeah. a lot of these films, um, like a lot of what they're doing here, the the con- the sort of context you can place in it is that it's that early exploration of what you could do with film. And I, and you notice, for example, that in these, except for a trip to Jupiter, scientists all look like magicians. Yes, yes, and that's I, I think I think that's reflective of a lot of things. One of which, um, kind of to put it, kind of put them together. One one thing it reflects is how these were stage magicians who were creating. You know who are creating this work, so yeah. they're going to think in terms of the elaborate robes and production. Yeah, totally, um, totally. Plus, there's that whole idea of uh, that. The, there's this whole idea that at that time, fantasy and science fiction weren't completely separate. Yeah, um, because a lot of the speculative fiction there was so there was so much we didn't know about sci- uh, about science that um, kind of you know you kind of you throw it together. It also shows, um, it shows that kind of building on the literature that was already out there at the yeah. time, because 20,000 leagues into the sea, first men in the moon, these were already out. These, these were stories that had already been published. And, and you can see that, um, like Melier, for example, is leaning very heavily into it. Yeah. Uh, very heavily into both into both 20 uh, uh, into both like a trip to uh, the first well he leans both into uh from the earth to the moon yeah and um and the first men in the moon because the second half of a trip to the moon is very you know is very much like um like oh i can't remember the names of the characters in in uh, from the earth to the in the first men in the moon, oh, I don't remember James Cavour and something else because Cavorite was the name of the the metal, but yes. um, they went, <clears throat> but um, their their whole landing in and the moon being the having this lush jung, you know, jungle like um, jungle like terrain with yeah. and, and the whole idea of uh, fighting with the with selenites as they were called. That's a, that's all right there. So, the, the even when they're not specifically an adaptation of a particular story or book, they're an yeah. adaptation of a story. Uh, absolutely, and and I but, and I just think going back to uh, what you were talking about with the with the scientists as, as magicians, you know, mm-hmm. um, we 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 talk about sort of the golden age of comic books, and uh, and you know, you get your. Um, uh, you, you know, the, all the characters there tended to be mystical in nature, but had kind of a, a, a you know, like like you know, Green Lantern Alan Scott is the perfect example of this, right? His ring, his power oh, yeah. ring was was powered by magic, um, and um, and it was more the swashbuckling look 
but it was still kind of, you know, right. that cape was still kind of like a robe, right? Like it, it, it seemed very yeah. much like a, a, a magician's uh, uniform. And then, of course, when those characters were brought back in the in the late fifties, early sixties, um, it, it that was more based on you know you know atomic science, like like mm-hmm. you know what is what it, what what was going on then, and it was it was sort of that era of of science fiction that had developed uh, from the more sort of magic tinged, mystical tinged, and 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 I think what you said before about you know how uh, um, uh, sci fi and fantasy really were were interlocked. At, at that mm-hmm. stage oh absolutely i mean you know, another good example of that is uh hawkman yes the, the alchemical the the alchemical nature of what was originally called ninth metal you know, and, and like in the 80s or 90s became nth metal yes that that whole the whole idea of the ninth metal because that was science you know back then science alchemy um you know magic so to speak they were all kind of intertwined and looked at this looked at in similar ways and i think that's what we're seeing here is sort of Mm. that birth of the the idea that that to get the science and the science fiction the idea of the possible or the the speculative realm to get it into to take it and put it out there where somebody can see it not just in their head like reading yep. for like reading from a book or not just even as a static image on a page like the um illustrations that would have accompanied right some of those early books and early pulps the uh, pulp magazines but to see it as a film but to see it in motion i mean we we all know the story about how star trek inspired a whole bunch of mo- uh, a whole bunch of modern technology like the cell phone um here's my tricorder yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) cell phone tricorder your your pad your personal access data device yeah yeah that that like jordy used to walk around with they're now tablets you know exactly or i just i just got a new cell phone recently and it's one of those uh flip phones so i mean you know the idea that we're even going that we went that we've even developed and gone back to some kind of folding folding screen phone yeah all of that i mean which goes which is all you know kind of nods back to dick tracy and the two-way wrist radio later wrist tv oh um i took a call on my watch earlier today yeah (laughs) yeah so all of this i think it i think it helps when you see it in motion though and i think that's you know like ideas of well what's the now you're really intrigued what's what's the moon really like we see these movies, you know, we see these, yeah. the, the kids in, in the early 1900s seeing these, these odd, you know, the, this odd looking image of the moon and the sort of very mythology type things, very magical type stuff that, that eventually they're the ones who come, who are going to come away with it thinking, oh, okay. So now we know what really goes on in the universe with this because they got interested by what, but, um, by those early science fiction fantasy mashups yeah to then explore and take the fantasy and the science fiction you know take the science out of the fantasy and become something more yeah yeah I, I, and i mean it, it's it's uh yeah it, it it's it's quite incredible just this this sort of getting into that stage of it you know with the um yeah the with the the um development of 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 space travel in in that se- in in that century right you know we start mm-hmm. off the century with a couple of things that 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 speculates um and and kind of put it as a visual in front of people and uh, and as we know you know you show someone something boy they're going to they they they're going to you know <laughs> I mean, you know, we would uh, later get the War of the Worlds uh, uh, fiasco, mm-hmm. and um, you know, there was a uh, uh, to uh, to quote uh, Fox Mulder. You know, everyone was thinking, "I want to believe," and uh, yes, and and so you know, th- when you think about that that sort of amazing feat of of you know where people were at uh, at the stage that that from the earth to the moon came out and, 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 you know, and these four movies as well. Um, you know, the idea that, um, within 60 years of that, uh, there'd be a man walking on the moon. 
Yeah, and something something else to consider is the fact that of all of these, the um the the very latest of these four films is the year we finally first flew at Kitty Hawk. Yes, yes. Is you know it's the birth the birth of aviation. So these are stories coming out before we before there's even a uh, a propeller driven airplane. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, you know, the, so. And and it's fifty years till that it becomes a reality. Yeah. But but that's the and that's the thing is that the, the you know this is um, this is what pushes that forward, right? It's 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 what, what you said earlier about about these these as a vehicle for showing the possible, not just what the filmmakers can right. do, but what could be possible for society. And, and, right. you know, and then there's a perfect example of it. Is it, it, you know, we, we talk about science fiction defining a lot of technologies that we use, you know, the, again, like the, the Dick Tracy watch, we finally have that. Right. And, uh, and we have right. our tricorders and we have our, you know, our, this and that, my, my, um, but my my watch can tell me you know how my heart's beating and uh, yeah. uh you know all these things I, I mean it's it's absolutely incredible and 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 these these kind of things this speculative fiction this is what pushes that stuff forward and uh and you know these guys uh you know these guys came out there as 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 stage magicians uh that that were wanted to put movies in front of us and um, uh-huh. and the 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 biggest trick of all Right. They, uh, they, 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 they yeah. made us, they made us move forward. They, they, in effect, they made us believe. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. And that, and that, it, that's maybe the biggest takeaway of these early films in the context yeah. is that they're, it's not so much, even it's not in some ways, even so much what they inspired, but how they reflect the society at the time, the society that wanted more that wanted to move forward, that wanted to believe, right. that wanted to be, it wasn't just simply a desire to be entertained, but it's a desire, you know, it, but it could, it, they're movies that they inspire, at least they inspired filmmakers to yeah. try and do more things with film. And once you start doing more things with film, that also, you know, then you can start exploring more, the more, um, well, the deeper concepts, because I mean, science fiction, Science fiction and film both reflect the reflect the times that they're done in. Yeah, and you know that's another type of context. And in that con, you know, putting it in that kind of context, we're seeing the birth of we're seeing the birth of that interest in expanding forms of entertainment and in in taking escapism to a new level in a, in a way that's going to inspire people down the road. Yeah, to do the, to go in multiple directions with it. Absolutely. Anyway, so there you go, folks. And you can uh, check the show notes for uh, links so that you can see these movies. Yes, indeed. And so we're, we're going to close out tonight with um, what I'm calling the SETI Alpha Eel segment. <laughs> and for those, who, for those who haven't seen Star Trek II, um, there's these little creatures that... Um, that Khan puts in the ears of Chekhov and and, um, and and the captain of the Reliant to make them ascend. Well, essentially, it's to mind control them. So, in other words, it's something that sticks around that that, that you just can't get out of your head. Mm-hmm. It's like the old ELO song, um, <laughs> and I can't get it out of my head. That was another thing my brother, who's 13 years old, introduced me to was ELO. There you go. (laughs) So, Paul, what is your SETI Alpha Eel? What can you not get out of your head lately? Oh, my gosh. Um, You know, I I, uh, spent a bit of time with my daughter this weekend. We we were watching um, uh, the, uh, uh, what was it, Uh, 11-22-63. The... um, (laughs) You know, hey, it all comes all comes together really when you get down to it. Um, it you know, we were watching uh, that, and it, it's of course uh, a a time travel story. Um, you know, very much in the in the um, the tradition of like Mark Twain's Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court, as far as the mm-hmm. time travel part goes. And uh, and we were watching that, and so she had um, 
a lot of interest in one, the idea of like how the mechanics of his time travel worked and um, you know, what it meant. Like the, the idea was that basically he would, he would walk through this door and he would come out the other side in, uh, in 1960. And um, he could stay there for as long as he wanted, make all kinds of changes. And, um, and then when he came back, he would see the results of those changes. But the second he went through again, it, it resets it all. And so she was really interested in sort of the mechanic and what that meant, what that means to the story. And, uh, and then she was also just really interested in, so what really happened with the, uh, with the Kennedy assassination? Is it, Oh kid. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, it is, is a, a big rabbit hole. And so we talked a bit, uh-huh. of, you know, a bit about that kind of stuff. And, uh, and, you know, she had some questions. She'd clearly read a bit about it because uh, we watched the first four episodes a couple of months back and then just uh, watched the last four on the weekend. And um, <clears throat> and she'd clearly read a bit about it. And she was talking about like asking about some of the, uh, the of, of the conspiracies with it. And, um, you know, my, my girl, she's all about, um, uh, you know, she she doesn't buy into that stuff easily. <laughs> which is great. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, she's, she's suspicious of it immediately. And, uh, and yeah, so, so that's kind of been stuck in my head the last few days is just, uh, sort of thinking of that, of, of that story. And, um, and, you know, and, and she's reading the book now. And I, cause I said, you know, when you get halfway through the book, all of a sudden it's a, it's a very different story from what you saw. So there'll be lots that will still surprise you. And, um, and, uh, and so, yeah, it's, you know, some of my favorite things, the, uh, you know, dealing with all of the, uh, um, uh, you know, all of the sort of uh, interesting paradoxes that time travel brings and, uh, you know, coupled with, uh, with a story that, Hey, it's it's gripped everyone's attention at, at one time or another in their lives. And uh, and I love that she's kind of getting into, you know, digging into both of it. And, you know, it's uh, it's it's that's kind of one of her first uh, full Stephen King things. So mm-hmm. cool. Very there cool. You go. That is my SETI Alpha. And um, what is oh, my SETI Alpha eel? Mine has been uh, my mine has been occupying me far too much the past the past few days, and that is Sim City. Yes. Uh, now they haven't done a new version of Sim City, not The Sims or anything like that, but Sim City since 2013. But I bought um, over Christmas. I I went back. EA Games offered a really good deal to to basically get the whole package with all of the upgrades and modules. I had not played SimCity since the original version in 1989. Yes, yes. So I, remember I said, well. "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this." And I went down a rabbit hole the other, the other night. Um, I got a new. Uh, I upgraded my uh, desktop computer, and I got, I replaced my old hard drive, my old physical hard drive, with a solid yeah. state drive. Mm. And so one of my tests was, "Hey, let's see, let's see." Yeah, you know, and I also added, uh, upgraded my my uh, ram to 32 gigs and so i said oh well let's see how much let's see how how much faster sim city plays yeah and i ended up creating and you know the, like running an entirely new city simulation and i did not get to sleep that night so wow. needless to needless to say it's been kind of yeah and i went to bed last night thinking okay how can i reset the maglev structure to and can it, does that mean I can actually get rid of some of the streets now? <laughs> so I, I'm still running through. I had all of the new because I haven't played it that regularly mm-hmm. since Christmas, but I'm starting to learn all of the new different little features to it. So I've been playing in in the test environment type the uh, yeah. uh, type game that you can play, and it's just a, it's a hoot. Some of the different things and new things that you can do with it, nice. And so it's it's just amazing. Fantastic. So that that's been that's what's been stuck that's what's been stuck in my head lately. Outstanding. This is where we will insert in some contact info stuff. Um, 
right. um, I'll probably do it over a, a theme of some sort. And um, folks, thanks for listening to our first episode. We are going to take you on a heck of a ride in uh, and and, you know, do join in our little film club and uh, and tell us oh, what absolutely. you think of uh, of uh, of these movies that we're that we're talking about. So, what are we going to be dealing with next uh, next time? Next time, we're going to stay in the year nineteen ten, and yeah. we are going to discuss that classic film, no, not the Boris Karloff version of Frankenstein Karloff. at the Edison <laughs> Studios version. Sorry, I, I that that sounds fantastic, and I'm looking forward to that. I just can never hear Karloff's name without thinking of uh, Martin Landau as uh, as Bella Lugosi. I, I, oh, yes, <laughs> Karloff. Oh my. <laughs> oh my! Yes. All right, folks. So we will see Alrighty. you later. Guests have watched this space. Stay at the Phobos Ritz on Mars. You don't have to go fars when you're staying on Mars. You can reach us and let us know your thoughts on the movies we talked about or any others here at watchthisspacemail at gmail.com. <laughs>